Hello and g'day. This is Thomas Hawthorne on the Health Interactions Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Today we get to speak to Rochelle. Rochelle was diagnosed with breast cancer while she had quite a young family. So this was obviously a pretty devastating experience for her. But she was also in quite the unique experience of having a lot of breast specialists and breast surgeons in place. And that was because she had already identified that she was predisposed to breast cancer. And that and that was through a BRCA2 genetic mutation. It's something that's largely not very known about, I don't think, in in, in the larger society of what a, what a genetic mutation is to breast cancer and ovarian cancer being the BRCA1, BRCA2 mutations. So we talk a little bit around that. And also we talk about how we can all raise awareness to this. So the last Friday in September, if you all slap on a bit of bright pink lipstick and maybe take a selfie for your Instagram page or something like that to raise awareness for the genetic mutation testing. But while we listen to this, also please be aware that this is just Rochelle's story and it's something that may not apply to you, but it's something we might be able to listen to and just learn a little bit and take advice from. So we hope you enjoy it and thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Rochelle. How are you going today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about some of your pretty amazing and inspiring experiences. Thank you. Uh, could you take me back to August 2016 and just tell me a little bit about your diagnosis and how that came about for you? Yeah, so I think it was, it starts at December 2015 when my dad came down from Queensland to and let us know at Christmas dinner that he had a BRCA2 mutation. And as, you know, most people know from the news that uh, BRCA mutations predispose men and women to breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Um, because of the faulty gene and so by this stage I had already had some high-risk screening which involved a yearly MRI, an ult- a breast ultrasound and a mammogram which you know is a bit more unusual uh, for my age. I was 35 at the time but because of breast cancer in my family history uh, required me to have this high-risk screening. So when my dad told us about his genetic mutation, I was prepared to have this the gene test myself to determine whether I also carried that mutation. And I think, yeah, I got onto that straight away. So I booked an appointment with the Familial Cancer Centre closest to me. And in March... I was told that I did inherit that BRCA2 mutation from my father. And I guess I was upset about it, but I was also, I thought I was being proactive and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to do something about this before I get cancer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so in May of 2016, I went to the breast clinic and saw a breast surgeon and a medical oncologist and a gynecological oncologist who, you know, just talked to me about the risks of having that mutation um, and what I could do to prevent developing breast cancer. Sorry to sorry. No, to no, no, of course, what of was, course. What was some of that advice that they gave you to help prevent cancer? Yeah. So, you know, it hasn't been very long. I think it was 1996 where, they, you know, these mutations were discovered so it sounds pretty extreme but 
the best way to uh, not develop breast cancer is to actually have a preventative double mastectomy. So where they remove all the breast tissue from your breasts, you know, as a, as you know, they might do if you have cancer, because that, you know, my risk was sitting at about 70%. And so when you have that operation, it brings your risk down to maybe two or three, I think, from memory. So it's lower than the general public. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it sounds pretty extreme, but when you're in that situation, you just think, oh, I have to do whatever I can do. And there are also options to have medication, like um, anti-cancer medication as well, but you have to take those for a period of time, but the risk is always still there. Sorry, that was May 2016? Yeah, so um, during that time, my husband and I were thinking about when I would actually do that surgery, and we were thinking about having another baby, our third baby, and whether to do that you know, before or after, you know, yeah. I was getting older, you know, just, yeah, trying to make all those decisions, um, difficult decisions all at once. But during that examination in May, the breast surgeon did find a lump and she didn't think that it was anything but referred me to get an ultrasound anyway. So that came around in August when I was due for my yearly MRI anyway the MRI that I had the previous August 2015 was all clear. Yeah, so I had that the the breast ultrasound and they got back to me pretty quickly and they thought that it was breast cancer. So it was all all systems go from there and I had my MRI um and a biopsy of uh the lump in my breast and uh, my lymph nodes. And yeah, so about a week after it was confirmed that I did have breast cancer uh, in my right breast and my lymph nodes. Yeah, and that was that was hormone positive. That's for you, right, wasn't it? Yep. So estrogen receptor positive um, by ninety percent. So and they initially gave you stage. Uh, they two? they had to run further tests, but you know her guesstimate was stage three. Yep. And then, so after that initial diagnosis, I I kind of felt this weird feeling like that I was prepared for it uh, because of, you know, family history um, and also my mutation, you know, finding out about that. I thought that I was getting onto it early. I was doing something about it. You know, I was, I was prepared to fight. But as part of the process, the diagnostic process, I also had a full body bone scan and a CT scan, and it was then confirmed that the cancer, the breast cancer, had spread uh, beyond the breast and the lymph nodes into my bones, in my spine and my pelvis um, and my ribs. That would have been so devastating to find out. It would have been incredibly hard to deal with too, I'm sure. It, it was unbelievably difficult to, um, to deal with because, you know, when you are diagnosed with stage four cancer or metastatic cancer, there is no cure. No. And you're told up front that it's a terminal diagnosis. So it's not, uh, the outcome was completely different from what um, would have happened if I had an early breast cancer diagnosis, like I thought. Yeah. I would have had. Well, automatically, 
I guess your treatment went from uh, getting rid of the cancer to stopping it spreading. That's right. That's right. So that's, you know, it was something that I wasn't really aware of as well, that when you have an early cancer diagnosis, it's pretty straightforward. Well, what I learned was that I would have chemo therapy for six months, then radiotherapy, and then surgery to remove all the breast tissue. But that completely changed. So, you know, I wasn't going to have surgery. So the cancer is still there inside my breast. Um, It shrunk, but still there. I started on hormone therapy. So that's, you know, to suppress the production of estrogen uh, in my body that, that was feeding the cancer. Yeah. And, you know, that was something that the first line of treatment didn't work initially. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get onto a clinical trial with um, a different type of treatment and a targeted treatment. And that's had fantastic results so far. You're still on that yeah, trial? Yeah, yep, yep. So it's been about a year and a half that I've been on that trial medication. Good work. Yeah, and it's all stable. And you're also doing some awesome work with uh, charity. Could you tell me a little bit more about this charity and how we can all get involved and help raise awareness to this? Yeah, so you kind of, well, for me anyway, I'm, I'm happy to share my story and it's nice you feel this kind of alignment with breast cancer charities and, you know, I felt a strong pull towards a charity called Pink Hope. Uh, they're a preventative um, health charity or organisation. Uh, that supports families that also have genetic mutations that predispose them to breast and ovarian cancer. And I guess when I got involved with them before my cancer diagnosis, that's um, I just felt su- supported because when you're diagnosed with a, a mutation or if you have a strong family history, you're you're not sick, but you're not entirely well either. Yeah. So it's very isolating and I just felt really supported by that community and um, the preparation and information that they provide to help you prepare for, you know, possible preventative surgeries. So, and I guess they helped me uh, tell my story. So my sister um, made quite an impression on their founder and last year in September, for September uh 2017 they asked us to be the one of the families for their bright pink lipstick day fantastic so that's on the last friday in september and uh so we went in for a photo shoot with my sister and my brother and that was a lot of fun and so yeah it was just really strange seeing my face splashed on billboards in melbourne central and bright pink lipstick yeah yeah yeah. so good though yeah and Yeah, it just made me really proud to kind of share my story in that way. And I know that it made an impact on my little children because one day, I I want them to know as much as they can because one day when they're old enough, when they're adults, I would like them to make the decision to have the genetic test to see if they've inherited the mutation from me. Talking about little children, how did it affect you when you first got diagnosed having a young family how did you manage that? Um, I guess it was kind of nice in a way that um, my husband. So I was diagnosed, and my husband and I had planned to go to Tasmania for a you know getaway that weekend. And so when we found out the news, he was like, "Do you want to go? Shall we just cancel it?" And I said, "No, we have to go." 
so it, it was a good weekend for us to process it, just the two of us and not worry about the kids because I just think it would have been just so depressing at home trying to get on with normal life with them without and trying to hide it from them because it just they were too young but yeah and we cried a lot and I just initially thought oh I'm gonna die you know fairly soon like this is really bad and so I was just trying to come to terms with that and thinking and just always worrying that I wasn't going to see them you know go to school go to high school you know, yeah. yeah, so just leaving them without a mother, yeah, that's hard. But I, I don't think as much like that anymore. No, that's good. Yeah. Well, you're having fantastic results. Yeah. Like you said, with the, the, the trial that you're on at the moment. Yeah. It's only going the one way. Yeah, exactly. And I think just the time that I've had to process all of this, I know that even if this treatment isn't going so well, I've got other, a lot of other options still. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of we'll go on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. How has exercise helped you throughout the treatment? You, We've been seeing each other for some time now yeah. doing consistent exercise, but also before that you were doing Pilates even and other exercise groups. Where have you found exercise to, to fit in the role of managing both physically and mentally? I think... Initially, it was really difficult because I felt like I was doing well attending a regular exercise class, which is difficult after you have children. It's just a matter of finding the time and just getting back to, I guess, peak strength before, you know, your stomach muscles aren't the same. You, yeah. you know, when you're breastfeeding, you're, just, you're tired. Like It's a, a real effort to make it happen. And I felt like I was a good on a good track, but then it all kind of fell apart and I wasn't doing anything because I was in a lot of pain and just trying to cope with all of it. So I think not exercising didn't, you know, didn't help my mental health. And I just thought I need to get back to doing something um, just to get some more energy and also strength because I needed to, you know, have some strength in my back because... That's where I had the pain and that's where I had a fracture and chasing after two little kids yeah. is hard. So I really needed to get back to that. But I was also nervous. You know, I just thought, oh, I don't, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I can't do. I'm limited in a way. The, you know, the medication prevents me from being, you know, like it inhibits my aerobic fitness. So I think when this opportunity came up, to start seeing you and do the program it was just a great way that I know that that I knew that I could get personalized attention that you would understand my situation and my disease and how what kind of exercise that I could do because the moment you say cancer either some you know exercise you know options or either they treat you as though you know you're walking on eggshells you can't do what yeah. other people can do and you don't want to feel like that, but then at the same time, you're not sure what you can do yeah. yourself. You don't want to be wrapped in cotton wool. Yeah, but exactly. But you can't be getting flogged either and suppressing yeah. your immune system further. Things like, you know what I mean? It's got to be, like you said, it's got to be tailored to you. Yeah. Exactly what you're going through, knowing that you've got the metastatic disease. Yeah. Knowing what medications you're on and how that has implications on bones and fatigue yeah. and yeah. things like that. Yeah, because of course too, like with that, I needed to think about, 
because part of the medication has stopped my ovaries from working. Um, so I've been put into surgical or medical menopause. And prior to 40, you need those, you need um, the estrogen to help strengthen your bones and also prevent you from developing osteoporosis so it's important for me to do strength work to you know give myself the healthy bones that I need at my age yeah so Rochelle do you have any advice to someone that might be listening in they might have been in a similar situation to you they might have a family member in a similar situation to you they might be in a completely foreign situation to you do you have any advice to pass on to anyone that might be listening yeah I think that it's well, first and foremost, and I'm sure lots of women and men have heard this before, but it's just about checking your breasts, becoming familiar with them and on a regular basis to know what's not quite right for you and getting that checked out as soon as possible. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's something I felt like I didn't do enough of. Well, yeah, if you don't get yourself checked out, how would you know that yeah. you have that genetic mutation? Yeah, well, and and that's I guess that's not as common in in the whole population, but just the way that it all worked out for me, you know, I'm glad that I kind of had that prior information because it is very real that we've got that mutation in our family and that you can do something about it. So I just want my children to be informed. So I think that's another aspect of it. If you might think that there's no history of cancer in your family, but you know what. You've got to talk to your relatives. Yeah, you can't know that. Yeah, you've, you've really got to bring up that conversation and talk to them because, you know, you might think that things are unrelated, but, you know, you can connect the dots because, you know, breast cancer and prostate cancer are connected. And so, and also just the misconception of, I inherited this mutation from my father and he hasn't had cancer. So it's not just breast cancer is not just a female thing. No, yeah, that's a huge yeah. misconception I think in yeah. society in general. Yeah, so I think that's just yeah, my advice of checking out your family health history and wear pink lipstick on the last Friday of September. Yes, that is correct. I'll make sure I wear it. Yeah. <laughs> Was there anything more you wanted to talk about? No, that's about it. Cool. Well, just one last thing. Yep. Um this is strictly Rochelle's story. This is just a bit of a disclaimer. Not everything we spoke about here today will necessarily work for you, but she's got quite an amazing experience that we could probably all take a little bit from. So thank you heaps for coming in today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, thank Rochelle. you. Bye-bye.